Welcome to Ornate Stairwells. I'm Autumn, and I'm joined as always by Neve. Hi, I'm Neve. My my sinuses are like acting up, and it's started like yesterday evening, and is only getting worse. And so, if I sound stuffy, uh, that's why. Um, probably doesn't help that this is my third podcast of the day. But yeah, here um, we are. Yeah, I have also been like just vaguely under the weather, and. The way that my body deals with any sort of like very minor sinus thing is it all just like drains, and so my my mm-hmm. throat just gets sore. So yeah, that's I might also at. sound we're, a little off. Where everything is draining, and it's just making my throat hurt like an mf. So yeah, um, luckily I don't have two jobs where I'm required to talk all day. <laughs> oh wait. Um. <laughs> Um, we're here today to talk about um, Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu, but before that, did you watch any movies this week? Uh, I did. So, uh, just an update in case people are following along with, like, me watching through the Star Wars movies in chronological order. Um, Emily's decided that uh, here between Return of the Jedi and then the force awakens uh she wants to rewatch the the episodes of the mandalorian um i'm not gonna rate 
I might when I get to like the end of a season rate the stairwells in the Mandalorian, but um I don't know. It it's not like that interesting enough that I want to rate individual episodes. So mm-hmm. I don't really have much to say about it here. There are some um, good episodes in the Mandalorian and there are some really bad episodes of the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. So. Um so far we've just watched the the first episode um which the part that I found really funny about it was just like the density of them just saying made up shit. <laughs> <laughs> and and me being able to follow some of it because like you know I I have cared about Star Wars for a long time, um, especially as a kid. But there's just parts where it's just like like the entire like first fifteen minutes, like every sentence just has some dumb word in it. Um, <laughs> there's just like the the first alien that he captures uh, is just spouting absolute nonsense about like how his biology works in just like this most goofy way. Um, it's bizarre. <laughs> I've watched all of these. I'm just paying more attention this time. Um, yeah. But, and then there's that shoot at the end and I was like, oh yeah, I do love Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, it's great when they die instead of survive. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. But anyway, I did watch an actual movie, which was Rocky Reykjavik. Um or Rock and Reykjavik would be the the translation here, which is directed by Fredrikstor Fredriksson, who did um, Engel Alhamsen's Angels of the Universe, uh, one of the the other movies that we covered. Um, this is so I think it's like his first feature length, um, like film. Although it's a it's a documentary, um, and I love it a lot. Um, I don't know if it's like a documentary. I would just be like, oh yeah, just everyone should watch this because a bunch of it is just footage of these punk bands in like 81 and 82 performing. Um, and that's something that's really interesting to me to like see that stuff documented, but Mm. I don't know how interesting it would be to everyone if you don't like really care about a a punk, a post-punk scene that existed in Iceland in the (laughs) eighties. This um, is, um, yeah, this is sometimes how I feel about the decline of Western civilization. Part one, we're like, I find it really interesting. Cause like, those are bands that I listened to when I was a kid, but yeah. like, I don't know that that movie does like a great job of like introducing you to those bands or that scene. I think it is more about a lot of other stuff <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Um, it's also weird because, um, so like the DVD I have does not have subtitles. Um, and so I found some English subtitles just because my Icelandic is not good enough to just like fully follow everything. Um, but in the original Icelandic, they just don't even put the names of the bands or who is speaking when they're interviewing or anything. Um, and the subtitles that I have do put in like, oh, here's the name of the band and the song, but that is not in the original. Like so much of it is, I think him just making it as like, I think either at that point, a student filmmaker or like 
fairly fresh out of film school um and just like documenting his friends bands and like other bands in the scene (laughs) um and so there's a certain amount of it just like assuming that you know who any of these people are in a way that is not not true if you're like one is not true if you are not icelandic but also even for icelanders like i've had many icelanders tell me that i know more about like parts of the icelandic music scenes than like the average icelander like i i care about thursa like <laughs> um <laughs> i tweeted a joke about it and then had one of our icelandic listeners uh friend of the pod cyborg be like yeah i feel like this was targeted at me because i don't know about this band <laughs> um but anyway it's it is a it's also like it's doing a little bit around um some of the like trying to give some sense of like what's going on in this scene but a lot of it is like there's basically like three topics that come up in the interviews which is like sex drugs and politics um and so there's like a few people who like talk about how it's kind of like sexually stimulating to be performing on stage and having all these people like um paying attention to you and like moving their body because you're playing music basically um and some of that stuff's kind of interesting there's there's a little bit about drugs um the biggest one is this like very young kid who um is the the singer for uh Sjálfrón and uh he, just the entire thing is him talking like him smoking like chain smoking basically and talking about like oh yeah i like sniff glue and petrol and like <laughs> all this all these other things to get high um in a way that like one is like clearly aping earlier punk people who might just be like talking about doing heroin but like he can't get heroin in iceland even though he has heroin written on his leather jacket and so he's just like sniffing substances um and getting high that way um but it's just like clearly this like kid who is just doing all these dependencies because otherwise he just seems really sad um and this is the part watching it that i found really interesting because one i'm watching it being like oh that kid was just like me when i was first watching this documentary in high school um Mm. and getting into all these bands and then there's Booby Morthens, who's like a, a really big, like probably one of the most popular musicians in, in Iceland. Um, and his punk band was called um, Ayo. And sorry, Lem is being a brat. Um, and he's just like ranting about how kids like this kid who's like most of his interview is just talking about getting incredibly high. Um how like oh they're just like the this like aesthetic of anarchism but really like and i i agree with the point he's making overall which is like he's coming at it from this more communist like hey we need like actual societal change um there's just this aesthetic of like rebellion and anarchy that without any sort of like direction or purpose um like I think it was a, another interview where a different person says it, but it's like uh, echoing the same opinion of like, 
at that point, why does it matter if you're putting like the anarchy symbol on your jacket instead of a swastika? Um, if like what your argument is just like, oh, all this politics shit is dumb. Like the government sucks. Um, and not like anything else beyond that. Um, Mm -hmm. because if your whole thing is just like, well, we should overthrow the current government. Uh, it sucks. I don't like it. Like that's a thing that could just as easily be used by like fascist forces as like left forces. So, um, yeah. So like, I kind of agree with this point of just like, Oh, like there's this, especially this form of anarchy that exists in some of those scenes that's just kind of like fuck the world um, that can actually very easily get folded into like perpetuating capitalism and um, encouraging like the rise of fascism. But also I'm watching it and I'm like, Booby, you're like older than this kid. Just like, please help him. He should like, (laughs) clearly he's (laughs) sniffing glue because something is like fucking wrong in his like life. Just help this fucking kid. (laughs) Um, and that, that reaction was something coming at like me watching it in retrospect being like, oh, this was just me as a kid. Um, and being like, damn, I really wish someone would have just like helped me out. Although I was, I was reading the communist manifesto back then and also ranting about how, you know, people with the politics of rebellion without any like actual substance to it are blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) back then I saw it and I was like, yeah, damn right, booby. Um, and, and now I watch it and I'm like, damn right. But also like, help that kid, please. Don't just be like that kid's stupid. (laughs) Yeah. Watching, um, the decline of Western civilization when I was like 15 or 16, I was like, damn, I wish I was living this cool life of like, you know, like I want to die really young, like Darby crashed it. Um, and Watching it again, maybe two years ago, and I was like, "Oh, this is sad. I don't. Why did I want to be yeah. like this? Um, <laughs> this is just sad." <laughs> Music whips, the, though. <laughs> the other part where I felt really called out was just um, like I even sent a screenshot to you, and you were just like, "Oh, that's just you." Um, the basis. It's literally for... a dress you own. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's literally a dress I own. Um, it's it's like my favorite dress. Um, yeah, the basis for Grilunar, I'm just like, oh, I just modeled myself after this, huh? <laughs> just subconsciously. After that technical difficulty. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of stairs, I would say the, there aren't any F. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> um, there are a couple times where it's like, oh, there are some stairs that lead up to the stage that they're currently on, but you never see anyone go up or down them. Um, so yeah, F. There's not like a good interview that happens in a stairwell or anything. It's a great movie, though. I I love it. I want to watch it. It seems good. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a thing too where I'm just like part of why it's hard for me to recommend is like, I feel like if we were watching it together, I could like provide a lot of the context that the documentary itself is not doing. Um, I could be like, Oh, that's Anna Ern. Like, you know, he was one, then one of the founding members of Kook, but like then went on to do the sugar cubes. Um, blah, blah, blah. Like I could like explain, but also so much of it is like literally in the moment that these bands are, are happening. And like, doesn't actually understand at the time that the movie is being made that like what is happening is actually a significant shift in like the direction of Icelandic music um, and the development of like more specific Icelandic music movements rather than a lot of what ki- kind of came before was more just imitative of like what was playing on the American radio that was coming into the the army base. Um this was like kind of the start of people really taking American music that they were hearing on the radio and then like working through it and, and um, like finding their own way to do like part of what's so interesting is that so many of these bands are these like weird blends of like, I think they aren't even hearing no wave from New York, but they're like arriving at something that is similar to no wave where um, it's like, and some of it I think is that they're just so small and they have like no aims of grandeur beyond just like playing a cool show for their friends. Um, but then they're just like bringing in elements of new wave and um, like goth rock and everything. And they're just like, there's just like a bunch of genres that are getting weirdly mixed because it's just like, Oh, they're just hearing songs on the radio and just like folding it into this punk sound that they're developing. Um, so that's part of what I think was like exciting about it. And it is this really important documentary for Icelandic music, but it's also just a thing that like, again, I think it would be hard to watch in isolation and be like, Oh, I understand now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because mostly it's just watching a bunch of people, like, a a large part of this film is just the bands playing. (laughs) Right. Um, And then it'll, like, interview, and someone will say, like, they'll talk for, like, a minute or two, and then you'll see another song. Um, So, yeah. Um, I watched The Matrix. You know about Uh, this? No, what is it? I've never heard of this film. <laughs> so, <laughs> like like um, the dot like the dot printers? So, you think that it's the year 1999, but really it's closer to the year 2199. We can't mm. know for sure. <laughs> um Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't fucking sleep on Saturday. Um and so I got out of bed and I put on the matrix um, and laid on the couch until I fell asleep. Um, it's a good fucking movie. I woke up the next day and like watched the parts that I like was asleep for just a good fucking movie. Um, you like understand immediately both how this like totally changed Hollywood cinema 
for, you know, the next two decades, and you also understand how um, the shit they do in that movie is just too hard and people stopped trying. (laughs) And you also understand immediately, um, you know, how everything that they do in this movie is just taken from Hong Kong movies. No shame in that, you know. John Woo movies are great, but it's just a yeah. John Woo movie. <laughs> um, notably, they were actually getting a choreographer from Hong Kong movies to do stuff. Oh, were they really? I didn't yeah, know that. I believe, I believe that was part of it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's weird too, because I feel like Hollywood didn't take the actual interesting stuff that they were doing from Hong Kong cinema. Um, like, we still don't actually get like good fights in movies, <laughs> mm-hmm. but they did take the, we're going to have a camera that spins around part. Yeah. <laughs> which in the matrix actually served a purpose of like trying to show the like unreality and like the way that this is like a, a game or like a simulation that can be manipulated by, by the people in it. Um, right. And then it just became a thing that's just done because it looks cool, which is fine. It, but it like, does look cool for what that's worth. Um, yeah, I wanted to just quick look it up. Um, so it's Yuan Wu Ping who they hired to to do choreography. Um, who people would probably most notably know as uh, the choreographer um, for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Oh, uh, but okay. also. Also did Kung Fu Hustle, Once Upon a Time in China, two. Um, those are like ones that he got awards for. Um, Snake in the Eagle Shadow, the which Matrix, is like right? a, a classic from seventies. Um, yeah, or no, yeah, Crouching Tiger might be. Crouching yeah, Tiger is two thousand, so it's like back to back. Yeah, but yeah, like some of his first films are are classics of like, you know, late seventies, early eighties. Um, like kung fu stuff, which includes Snake in the Eagle Shadow, Drunken Master, Dance of the Drunk Mantis, Magnificent Butcher, <laughs> uh, Dreadnought. Like these are all huge films for like the genre at that time. So, um, yeah, they got a they got like a good action director for this. Um. That's why the fight scenes kick ass. They um, fucking do. Um, I guess he was um, a fight advisor for the Kill Bill movies. <laughs> you know, they can't all be wins. Yeah. Um. um it oh, got me Ant Man three and four. Sorry, I I will stop reading this list. <laughs> I haven't seen any of the sequels to Ip Man. I really like the first one, but I haven't seen any of the sequels. So, um. The um the thing I was gonna say was just that um um what am I looking for? It got me thinking a little bit about how like I think of myself as a person who really loves and cares about um like martial arts movies. And that's true. Like I do love kung fu movies a lot. Um I actually haven't seen a ton of them. It's just that the ones I have seen I tend to rewatch. Like I have seen um, all the Bruce Lee movies that I like, Fist of Fury, um, Way of the Dragon, Enter the Dragon, um, 
you know, like the major ones, like the seventies ones. Um, like I've seen all of those multiple times and like the Jackie Chan movies I have seen, I've seen multiple times, but I have like huge holes in like the Jackie Chan movies that I've seen. Like, for example, I have not seen drunken master or I have seen drunken master too, weirdly. Um, I have not seen um, Police Story. Um, oh, yeah. We got to fix the you haven't seen Police Story. Right. It's just like it is a genre I care a great deal about, but I actually haven't seen a ton. And um, I, I, that's just like something I just want to like make a little side project. I'm like, oh, I just got to see more of these. You know, I haven't seen any Shaw Brothers movies, you know? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, that was my main takeaway from The Matrix is like, ah, that's a really great movie. It's really, truly one of my favorite movies has been since I was like 10 years old. Um, and also like, it's, it's fun watching it and just being like, damn, there's like a whole world of like cinema. I don't, I just have like scratched the surface of, you know, yeah. <laughs> that it like, this is so clearly pulling from, <laughs> so yeah um i love the matrix a lot it's It's a i feel like it's a thing that we are going to talk about at some point on some podcast so like i don't know if i want to fully go into stuff right now especially having not seen it but it's great yeah i am i am going to try and watch the sequels uh in the next couple weeks which would be the sequels are movies that I have seen multiple times, but not for 15 years, probably. Like, it's been a very long time since I've seen either of the sequels. Um, so, gonna try and revisit those soon. I have high hopes for Matrix Reloaded, and I have um, profoundly mid-hopes for The Matrix Revolutions. Like, it, I don't... I know people don't like that movie. I expect that I will like it, and I don't expect anything more or less from it. You know? Keeping my yeah. expectations tempered. <laughs> Keep your expectations reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I was looking for. I was like, what's that damn fortune cookie say? <laughs> um, um, I'm really not looking forward to The Matrix Resurrections. That trailer just made me profoundly sad. Um... But it did make me think about how much I like the original movies, so. Um. Kidding. Okay, um, I tweeted something kind of incendiary for no reason the other day. Can I explain it on this podcast? Sure. Is Wait, um, is it about the fourth Matrix movie? Yes. Okay. I tweeted the other day that um, the, Matrix Resurrec- the Matrix Resurrections trailer is super fucking racist. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't explain that because I didn't feel the need to. I felt it was self-evident, but uh, I did have one person ask me and um, I haven't seen anyone else talk about this. So uh, I guess I'll go into it, which is that like um, I the Wachowski sisters have had a a troubled history with how they depict race in their movies. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's the kindest way I could phrase that. Um, I think that um, the Oracle plays pretty heavily into like magic black woman tropes um, Mm -hmm. that have been prevalent throughout Hollywood cinema for, you know, over a century. 
Um, and I think that when you introduce a new character who either is Morpheus or is supposed to be analogous to Morpheus, but is not played by Lawrence Fishburne, um, it feels... I don't know if that character is Morpheus or is just supposed to be kind of like Morpheus, but like Lawrence Fishburne has said multiple times he's not in that movie. I really, I guess if he, if it ends up that he has like some secret part in that movie that they're not revealing it, it egg on my face. But as of right now, I don't believe he will be in that movie, which introducing someone to replace him makes him makes it feel like Lana Wachowski has just boiled down his character to magic black person as well, you know, and it's super uncomfortable. (laughs) It's, um, Lawrence Fishburne is like one of the greatest actors of his, of like his generation. Um, and no disrespect to the actor who they have playing this new character who may or may not be Morpheus, but, um, just treating Lawrence Fishburne as interchangeable, um, is racist to me, <laughs> you know? Uh, yeah. I have nothing more or less to say about it. It's racist. Yeah. Um, so. Um, I know the, I think, I forget who I saw tweeting about this. Um, there's like the, the one extra bit I got. So, People were tweeting, wondering if the Matrix Online is going to be canon to the mm-hmm. new movie, because Morpheus is assassinated in the Matrix Online. Um, I know Austin Walker has talked about this, how Morpheus was assassinated, and then they had to like get the assassin, and that was like part of the online game. Um, I still feel like if your thing is he's going to be resurrected. You could still just get Lawrence Fishburne to play him. <laughs> um, you can still just make up the rules of your world. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it is like the trailer is so much about like, um, uh, like remember the Matrix. Like let's and and sort of doing this sort of like metatextual like what are we doing here you know like coming back to the matrix you know Mm -hmm. like is this just a cash grab what are we doing here um that's like what that trailer is about i don't know what the film is about but that's what the trailer is about um and i think if you are going to do a sort of cold hard cash grab the least you can do is bring back Lawrence fishburne (laughs) yeah um and just like reading People have asked him about it um, multiple times, and there is a sort of, like, bitterness to his responses that makes me think mm-hmm. that he's not, like, joking around when he says he's not in that movie. Like, like, I don't know. I yeah. feel like people play coy a little better in Hollywood than, than that. I feel like Lawrence Fishburne probably just isn't in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Um... um. If people do want like more of the Matrix, uh, Sunset just exists, and you can watch it. And um, there's just a lot of group sex in it. So, and it has all the same problems with the Matrix. I mean, it's it's cool. It 
relegates a lot of its action to um like asian characters um in a weird ham-fisted way to try and like pay tribute to the kung fu movies that they're they're uh pulling from they just have the the asian woman be the one who knows kung fu and people can call on when they need to kick ass um (laughs) they literally they didn't get the actor back for the the black character and so they just replaced him with another black actor who looks nothing like the original one um they just very briefly lampoon it um, from the, from the it's people just all who these brought problems. you, <laughs> <laughs> from the people who brought you Tom Hanks and Yellowface, <laughs> yeah, um, it's just all of the same problems, and you can watch it right now. You don't have to wait about it. You you don't have to see tweets about how uh, finally someone has figured out how to make like digital film look good because it still just looks like fucking digital film. Yeah, it looks better than Marvel. Marvel sucks. <laughs> a tweet that was going around um, that's like here let's come like you know um look how cool uh the wachowski like l- well it's <laughs> importantly just lana uh lily mm-hmm. seemingly really distancing herself from this movie for when lana in- inevitably gets canceled <laughs> um um again sensate that was just lana as well so <laughs> <laughs> Same problems. You could you can go watch Sensate right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's that. The uh, ending will be just as unsatisfactory as the new Matrix movie. <laughs> there was that tweet going around that was like, "Look how good um, the Matrix Resurrection looks. Um, this, these shots are so beautiful, and people are always talking shit about. Um, you know, people are always talking shit about digital, but like, look how good this movie looks." And I'm like. Yeah, of course it looks better when you get, like, a real director who, like, is really interested in composing shots and, like, has been for, like, 20 years. Like, of course a Lana Wachowski movie looks better than, like... (sighs) And not that people who work on Marvel movies aren't real directors. I think, like, Ryan Coogler is, like, one of the... Is, like, one of the greats of this, uh, of this moment in time. I fucking love Ryan Coogler movies. Um... I don't think that Black Panther has the sort of like care and attention that goes into it that say Creed or um, Fruitvale Station do, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and just in some like has more money, but the money gets spent on stupid shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, um, probably has more of a like restrictive. This is just what we need to do. Um, yeah. They will, like, just completely redo backgrounds because they're just like, ah, oh, we've decided that we think that, like, this background will be better. And, um, yeah, stuff is just bizarre. <laughs> yeah, so, like, of course, when you get a, a movie that is sort of pitched as, like, a movie for, like, movie lovers, like, it's going to look better than, like, even accomplished directors do on Marvel movies or Disney movies because the people who work on Disney movies don't get any creative control. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, they had to convince Marvel to sh- let um, that person who just won Best Director. They had to, they had to convince Marvel to let her shoot on location. <laughs> um, yeah, and people were like comparing the Matrix to like Disney movies. Like, of course, Disney movies look like shit. <laughs> the part that I just found the funniest about that tweet was like. 
wow, you could watch this and tell me that it was film and I would believe you. And I was like, you don't know what color grading looks like then. <laughs> you have you have no idea about the production processes of film versus digital because yeah. I immediately immediately look at that and I'm like, oh yeah, it's that still of the cast from the new Cowboy Bebop or whatever. <laughs> They've just um. like neoned everything to shit. Um it still looks fine. Like it look again. It looks better than Marvel, but that's just not saying much. And once again, all of this sounds pretty negative. Um, I generally like Wachowski movies. I really like yeah. the Matrix. Um, Speed Racer is a classic. Um, I'm gonna watch uh, the new Matrix and have a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, it's gonna it's be just... way too hamfisted about how it's trans now, and I'm just gonna be like, yeah, okay. <laughs> we got one so of you into much. Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be so much you know what i'll i'll forgive it if uh keanu transitions on screen if they really go for it like if they really go for it i'll i'll, I'll forgive it <laughs> this is the thing about sunset because a lot of people complain that the first season is incredibly slow um and it it is, but it's because the entire first season is just about realizing you have gender dysphoria. Um, and it's, as a trans person, incredibly ham-fisted about that, but cis people don't seem to understand that this is what the first season of Sense8 is about. It's mm. about looking in the mirror and seeing someone who's not what you like want or expect, or seeing something that is actually what you want, but also being like, that's at odds with the body that I have. Um mm. It's about being like, wait a minute, I just want to have sex with all different kinds of people. What the fuck? I thought I was a cis straight man. <laughs> um, that's what that movie, is, or that's what that, that show is. Um, the entire first season is literally just extended shots of people looking in mirrors and seeing someone else. Um, <laughs> again, very ham-fisted. I love it, though. <laughs> Uh, I cried every time Nomi and Amanita was on screen because I just never got to see that before. <laughs> it's also incredibly dumb and it's a bad show, but... <laughs> That's fine. People are allowed to like bad shows. Yeah. Um. Oh. Speaking of transgender. Um. <laughs> so... Yeah. Are you about the segue to the movie that we watched, or are you going to rate halfway. the stairwell? Halfway. Oh, okay. uh, stairwell for the Matrix. Um, C plus. Um, you probably know the scene um, if you've seen the Matrix. Uh, Neo and Trinity are running from the agents. They run down into a subway tunnel. You get the shot of the like concrete stairwells down into the stair into the subway tunnel. They have the conversation in the phone booth. Trinity leaves the Matrix. Neo is stuck in the Matrix. Um, um, Hugo Weaving catches up with him. They fight. Um, he defeats Hugo Weaving. He goes back up the you know cement stairs out of the subway. Um, C plus. You know the yeah. stairs are in a prominent scene and play the role that they're supposed to play. They don't really strike me i had to think about it for a second i had to like try to remember what the stairwell would be in that movie like they're they're there they serve their purpose um you know c plus yeah um i could be convinced to go to a b minus you know but it's neither here nor there um speaking of transgender um 
so Hibari no Mori Ishimatsu. No, Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu um, is a movie that we had to like. Uh, Rick, fan of the show, tracked down for us. Shout out, shouts out to Rick. Um, if you want to, um, if you decided if you didn't see the movie, decided to um, listen to just segment one and then dip out. Totally understand. Uh, if you want to watch the movie, um, you know, Rick linked it in the Discord. Um, I can send you the, you know, the file as well. Um, Rick found this on a website, and I'm not going to say the website's name. If we want to talk about it, like, if I'm going to ask the listeners a question, um, and we can have this conversation not in a microphone. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Rick found this movie on a website that um, is a, like, Spanish forum dedicated to, like, Asian cinema and, like, translating Asian cinema, um, particular like, all sorts of things, but particularly things that do not, like, get big releases, do not get, um, you know, um, I don't think its focus is, like, making sure that everybody gets Evangelion on time, you know, <laughs> um, um, and over the weekend, um, partially because I'm having a nervous breakdown, I decided to, like, do a lot of, like, Googling about, like, um, Asian cinema stuff that I was, like, having trouble finding some movies, um, and I think maybe this website, I can get the movies that I'm trying to find, um, but I can't figure it out, and my Spanish is just good enough that I can basically read everything on this website but like my sinuses are bad and i'm working like 45 hours this week and i can't actually like process any information that i'm reading so if someone could tell me how to download movies off this website or could tell me oh they don't have the movies on this website they just have like subtitle files that would be great <laughs> i bring this up because um one of the movies i wanted to watch was um Yin and Yang, um, Gender and Chinese Cinema, a documentary by, um, um, Stanley Kwan that just looked really interesting about, like, um, and looked very up our alley, um, in a way that I would maybe be interested in covering it. I haven't seen it yet, but it just looked interesting, um, about, like, um, you know, the implicit and explicit ways that, like, um, Chinese movies, like, since, you know, people have made movies in China have dealt with um, themes of queerness, despite, you know, censorship at times, despite, like, hardship at times, despite, like, you know, all these sorts of things. Like, like queerness has always been part of these movies. Um, I just thought that was an interesting premise. Wanted to see if I could track it down. Um, so if anybody can help me out, message me in the Discord and we'll work on that. <laughs> yeah. Um... That's all. Should we talk about Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu? Sure. Um, what are so we, like this an hour in? Oh, uh, 40 minutes. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a 1960 uh, Yakuza film that is also a comedy and musical by mm -hmm. Sawashima Tadashi. Um, and I've seen... So, like... I don't think there's ever been an official English localization or like translation for the, this film. Um, they're like the, 
the version that we had had subtitles that were just i think a fan translation yeah um, there was credits for the, su- the subtitles at the end and it was like cannibal king and just like <laughs> yeah yeah um and i'm pretty sure these are the subtitles that are included on the like gray market copies that you can you can find online um and those gray market copies in particular give it the the name of ishimatsu the one-eyed avenger but like i in a way that's different than like if this is like officially brought over where still we can like we are a podcast that often likes the original titles um and i think some of that has to do with like there's always a process of like translation but sometimes it's nice when talking about the film to like actually just talk about the film itself and um you know the way that you updated the the little um like ornate stairwells grades spreadsheet we have like we have the original title um often at least put into like uh roman characters if there's like a fairly acceptable way to do that for the the film Mm -hmm. um and then we have like here's what the the official localization or like you know translation is um but i think it's it is important sometimes to like recognize these things that are like exist outside of english and that like also there's a process of translation that's happening and also there's like a process of curation and like limiting that happens as well so that's part of why i think like i I, whenever i wrote academically i would always as long as like editors would allow me i would always do the original title first and then i would do the um like here's the translation Mm -hmm. um but anyway for this one, it's just like I want to. I want to be clear. So, Morino Ishimatsu is just the name of the character. Um, it, it means like Ishimatsu of the forest, basically. Um, but Morino is kind of like the uh, surname in a in a sense because like uh, Ishimatsu's father is also like Morino. I for, I forget the given name. Um, but, and then the name of the film is Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu, which means Hibari, Hibari Misora, who's the, the actress who is playing the main character. Um, I'm kind of bringing this up because I, I think it's significant that like the title is specifically like, you are coming here to see Hibari mm-hmm. Misora playing this character. <laughs> yeah. And that's what the title is. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And that is not conveyed by Ishimatsu, the one-eyed Avenger. No. Um, but yeah, so um, I don't, I don't know if you have like immediate thoughts on this film. I can try and do a very brief synopsis. <laughs> D- let's let's do a synopsis because this is like this is going to be a weird movie to talk about because I think like a lot of folks who are listening might not have watched the movie. Um, you should watch the movie. Yeah. We have a pretty, we've got a reliable way to track it down now, and it's like less than ninety minutes. You should watch it. Um, yeah. it's a very good movie. I fucking loved it. Um, and it is also like, uh, very much like in the watching. It is very much like a, um, 
There's a plot, and let's just talk about the plot, and then we'll talk about what, like, the movie actually is, because the movie is not actually the plot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be pretty brief with the plot, um, because also, if you're, if you're thinking about this in terms of, like, an actual narrative that is about, like, a Yakuza traveling around, um, some of the pacing in this is weird, but I think it actually makes sense if you're thinking of it as, like, a gender-bending musical. <laughs> uh but so the film as a whole has this like framing story of there are women picking, um, I believe it's tea leaves um, in these fields doing this like choreographed song and dance. Um, and then they take a break and they all gather around. And there's one woman who is being played by um, Hibari Misora, the main actress. Um, and they're like, tell us some more of the story that you were telling us before. And she's like, ah, yes, like, where where were we? And they basically pick up at a moment. So um, Morino Ishimatsu is, like, an actual folkloric hero. And so this is just, like, a small part of the story of Morino Ishimatsu as well. Um, and that's kind of figured here as well because they, like, pick up the story. Um, and then it cuts, like, it, you know, moves into the, the film proper. And then at the end, like exits and they're like tell us what happened next and you know she's like oh well next time remember like the has the smell of tea leaves or whatever is like one of the the things about the town um and they go back to like picking um and and working but so there's like this framing story of like oh this is like a snippet of the life of morino ishimatsu and Hibari Musara is telling the story and then is playing the character. And so in some ways we're getting like as an audience and out for like, why is this woman playing this Yakuza character? Cause like, Oh, it's the narrator. And so she's going to be the main character. Um, <laughs> in terms of the actual plot of like the Morino Ishimatsu stuff. Um, so Ishimatsu shows up at uh, a like, Yakuza boss and is basically like, hey, will you take me in? Um, and then just like causes a bunch of antics. Um, basically, every time Ishimatsu tries to help a situation, he just makes it worse. Um, and I think, uh, oh, actually, before it comes to, to Ishimatsu showing up at this like Yakuza boss's place, uh, we get a brief scene where. Uh, Ishimatsu's just on the beach and sees a turtle and is like, can I ride you to go see the, the, uh, like, what is it? The dragon palace under the water. Yeah. Um, and like meet the underwater queen. Um, I'm bringing this up because I think this is actually more significant to what the film is about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, Ishimatsu is just like causing mischief, um, in unintentionally. Um, and we, we're kind of just getting stuff set up about Ishimatsu of like, oh, he is, um, honest to a fault. Like he, he will just always tell the truth, even when that's actually like not a good thing to do in that situation. Um, and often wants to try to help a situation, but then ends up just making the situation worse by like getting involved, um, or just like acting too rashly and suddenly, um, when there like actually needs to be some forethought about how to go about it. Um, one of the most notable shenanigans here is trying to save someone from drowning and then not being able to swim. And so just jumping in the water. And then the person who Ishimatsu thought was drowning 
has to save Ishimatsu. Um, and we then find out um, in a sequence. So in all of this, Ishimatsu also encounters a princess. And it's specifically in the scene where um, he's talking to the, the person who like saved him from drowning. That person is making fun of Ishimatsu for falling in the water and basically flailing around and making sounds. And those sounds... The, the sounds that the character are making is like moaning sounds. <laughs> um, not what I would consider normal. I'm dying sounds. Um, and Ishimatsu is like, when I was unconscious, when I was drowning, I, I thought that I went to the, I was like thinking about going down to see the, uh, dragon or the, yeah, the dragon palace underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, and then encounters this blind young girl. Who's a princess. Um, as the princess of what doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> princess of what? Who cares? It's a princess who's blind. Um, and again, Ishimatsu has one eye, hence one eyed adventure. Um, like one eye is um, like cut and mm-hmm. like closed. Um, <clears throat> so then after that, um, Ishimatsu causes more trouble. And basically the, the boss is like, you just keep fucking up. I need you to just like basically get out of town for a while while I try to like sort things out. Um, cause you like kind of fuck things up with another rival gang. Um, and there's a very funny scene about the boss being like, and no drinking or getting into fights while you travel. And then Ishimatsu is too honest and is like, I can't not drink and get into fights. Um, I love and it then, too like, much. <laughs> yeah. And then other people say like, Ishimatsu, you can just stretch the truth and say that you're not going to. And then once you're like far enough away, just do it anyway. And like the boss won't know. Um, and then Ishimatsu comes and is like, I've learned that I can do this thing called stretching the truth. So yes, boss, I won't get in any fights or drink. Um <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, while traveling, um, ends up getting into a fight to save this princess when, like, the princess is being attacked by other Yakuza. Um, and for a lot of the film is then traveling with this princess. Um, in the process, also, uh, I didn't mention that earlier, one of the things was Ishimatsu saves this um, supposedly blind person who was confused about... Um, like, oh, I just grabbed the wrong pouch. I thought it was my bag. Uh, but is in fact just a pickpocket who's like was lying to Ishimatsu to have Ishimatsu help him out. Um, this is Sanji. We'll encounter Sanji again multiple times. Um, and Sanji is like the main Aniki, like the main brother of Ishimatsu uh, that mm. forms. It's like the, you know, the the friendship, the the strong homoerotic friendship. Um Anyway, essentially this all culminates to um, the like rival gang is basically coming to try and kill the princess or like take the princess. Um, Sanji ends up helping and like bringing a bunch of people to help. There's a big battle um, and, you know, they save the princess. That's the end of the film. Significantly before the big battle which within the formula of Ninkyo Ega, there's going to be the character singing their theme song as they go to the final battle. What happens in this film is that they are on a boat traveling to the city where the final battle is going to occur. 
and Ishimatsu falls asleep and has a dream of riding a turtle down to the Dragon Palace where the little blind princess is actually the like underwater queen who opens up a box and in the legend when that box opens it's supposed to turn you into like an old man and you're just like doomed to live there forever and and die of old age um and but when that box is opened instead ishimatsu is no longer like this gruff yakuza but is in like this more beautiful regal um you know traditional dress and then sanji just appears and they just sing a duet um haven't mentioned this yet so uh <laughs> Sora is an actress known for doing drag roles mm. the actor playing sanji is an actor known for being a drag queen <laughs> mm. they sing an elaborate musical duet with like you know like uh Bubsy Berkeley style or Busby Berkeley style, like choreography basically occurring at parts. Um, and, uh, basically just this like big song of them, like <laughs> coming together <laughs> and then just wakes up. And then that's when the, the big final battle happens. Um, I, this is significant, I think in terms of what this film is. Um, yes. But yeah. So yes. That, that's the film. That's basically the synopsis of this film. <laughs> yeah. Um this movie is a fucking delight. <laughs> um yeah, it's fantastic. I love it a lot. Um That's all like the stuff that happens. That's not what the movie is though. <laughs> mm-hmm. The movie is principally about um like um Hibari Misora just running around like a mad woman. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just a million lines of dialogue, just like yeah, talking constantly, constantly going, 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 <laughs> causing trouble for fucking everyone. Um. Yeah, extremely like a, a vehicle for an an actress and you were there to see her perform. Uh-huh. Um, and. So I want to send in a, like additional piece of context just as we're talking about this. I'm sending this in the the chat that we have. Um, you can open okay. this up and then uh, just like have it at zero and we can we can watch it together. Make sure that the audio is on because I think Daily Motion starts yeah. muted. Okay, let's do our hot single shit. Okay, um, three, two, one, go. Um. So this is from the. I'm like gonna turn the audio down slightly for me. This is from the first movie that um, Hibari Misora was in. Before this, she was known for being. Um, so she was both a female impersonator, like she was a little girl who would uh, do these like really sultry jazz songs that are about like being a prostitute, um, as well as doing like these drag performances where she's doing a a male role. Um, When she was getting older and they were trying to like rehabilitate her image to some degree, um, because she was doing this thing that was like, honestly kind of shocking and and controversial. The plot of this movie is basically, she's the little sister of this guy who wants to be a like song composer. 
And so he writes the song that's about his, like, yearning for this other woman that he loves. Um, and they get separated. And the way that, like, they finally reunite is that she sings the song, knowing that if she sings the song that he wrote, he will hear it and be able to, like, find her again. Mm-hmm. But this is the moment where they do the song where, as we see, she's currently walking around dressed as, like, a little gentleman. Like, a little Fred Astaire, basically. <laughs> um, we are getting close to the moment that I, I really want us to see, but... Um, <laughs> th- so this is, like, what she's known as. Like, she started out doing, honestly, very controversial, like, impersonations of... Um, both men and women, like adult men and women singing very sexual songs. And they kind of rehabilitated her image, but part of that involved her doing like these drag performances, but of kind of campy, like jokey musicals about like historical figures or like Mm -hmm. a a lot of the, the stuff that she did as an adult, like Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu was her playing male characters but in like the past um Mm -hmm. but yeah here we're at the part where she's literally singing and dancing with an adult woman (laughs) yes um (laughs) this is good (laughs) (laughs) um and one of the things is that she has like a fair like even when she was a child she was able to get this like fairly deep voice um, mm. And so she could sing male parts, which is also significant because in the duet that she sings at the end of the film with um, Sanji, she's doing the male part and he's doing the female part. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Like, <laughs> it's, it's truly something to, like, watch a movie from 1960 that is so like explicitly about um gender being the performance of gender um yeah and not being like a real thing <laughs> you watch her transform into another gender on screen and it is not because she looks different it is not because you know she is different it is because she acts different you know yeah. um it is because she performs maleness um like convincingly you know and like it's just shocking to see a movie from 1960 just so fully understand that and like not just fully understand that but like if you told me oh this you know 1960 french new wave movie about blah 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 directed by you know some fucking asshole like is secretly really smart about gender i'd be like okay sure whatever um this movie like understands that and uses it just to be like a fun lighthearted comedy movie which is like yeah. so much better <laughs> i think <laughs> than a movie that would be trying to like seriously like ponder these things and makes it hold up so much better than i think like a more like serious and thoughtful drama might because it's just like it's just a good time you know like it's just a fun fucking movie. I was just laughing, like, from start to finish. I think she's just, like, a remarkably, like, charming actress um, who just, like, steals the screen in every every moment that she's in. Like, there are other, like, good performances in this movie. She is, is stealing the show at every moment. Um, she's fucking mm. phenomenal in this movie. 
Um, yeah. And like, and p- part of what I find so fascinating about it too, is that like, um, you know, we're going to be talking about other Yakuza film on this podcast. This is the oldest one that we're going to watch. This is like before red peony gambler, um, which is one that I think is just like really just doing the genre. And this one is already playing with a little bit more than like that pure genre. But part of what, like, we kind of talked about, like, oh, just by having Oryu, like, this feels like it's just a plot that would be written for a normal Yakuza movie where the protagonist is a man, and yet they just cast a woman, and her name is Oryu, and they, like, sometimes kind of refer to it, but not a lot. And that kind of reveals, like, how weird and homoerotic this is. But this just, like, has it, like, fully turned up of, like, no, this is what these movies are about is, like, two men falling in love and, like, fighting for each other um, in a yes. big final battle and, like, singing a song together before they go to the final battle. Um, and, you know, having a, a scene afterwards where they talk about how much they mean to each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Indeed. But this movie just like fully understands how gay all of that is. <laughs> this, the 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 like, we've talked so much about how like you know, um, like Tokyo Drifter is not an oddity. Like people yeah. always sing songs in these movies before um, they go kill people. Like that's what happens in these movies. Yeah. Um, we are gonna this... watch Pale Flower, and notably in Pale Flower, like it is significant in Pale Flower that he does not sing before he goes to kill the guy. That's yes. part of what that movie is trying to do. Yes. Um. So, um, this movie's version of that one. This movie has like multiple like song and dance numbers as well as just like songs you know there's like a couple moments where it's not like people aren't doing like choreography but people are singing um yeah the big like climax song is um ishii um like escapes into a palace of dreams where he can be surrounded by like um just the most camp bullshit um and like sing a song with this other man like that's the climax of the movie the movie knows what it's doing like (laughs) it knows how campy this is and it knows exactly what the cultural associations of camp is you know (laughs) yeah it's not like it's not stupid (laughs) um yeah and it's so interesting to me because of it like there's a certain confidence i think to this film to just do the camp and just know that you know what this is right Mm -hmm. like it it's not trying to say some heavy-handed thing about like gender and sexuality or whatever it's literally just like no we're just gonna do the gay thing (laughs) um (laughs) and you'll all see it (laughs) yeah um um Notably, though, this movie was controversial in part because not like the more explicit queer stuff, but because Morino Ishimatsu is like sort of a folk hero. And this uh, film was seen as making fun of Ishimatsu, um, which, and part of it being that they have a woman play him. But right. I mean, also. The portrayal of Ishimatsu is like. Uh, a 
kind-hearted but like bumbling and just like goofy um honestly like most of the time just failing um and the whole the whole thing of it is like at the end finally Ishimatsu is able to like help out and not have people mad at him but um and it's only after he goes again through this process of like going through this dream sequence <laughs> where right. Ishimatsu is able to obtain that but um yeah <laughs> um well and i think it's like you know um I think that, like, Americans can be kind of naive a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, and, like, have a sort of, like, self-centered view of the world. Um, uh, and I think it's nice to, like, watch a movie from 15 years before Rocky Horror Picture Show that is, like, about these things, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and... Like, yeah, that's all I had to say. It was just that, like, you know, um, I think, like, Americans have this sort of, like, self-centered worldview sometimes where we think that we invented gay people or something. Um, (laughs) um, and, and we didn't, we didn't invent gay cinema, um, Gay cinema was not invented with Rocky Horror Picture Show. Gay cinema existed in the U.S. before that and existed in other parts of the world before that. Um, and it's just nice to be reminded of that. Um, it is a it is a history that um, is often, like, erased or forgotten. Um, and it's just, ni- it's just nice to, like, watch a movie that so heavily winks at the audience. Like, you know what's happening here. You know. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... You you know what it is when Ishii is like crying over um Sanji leaving, you know, um <laughs> after they like slept next to each other. <laughs> you know, yeah. like you know what the movie's doing. <laughs> we don't and have then, to pret- Like there's a, there's a certain amount of like, oh, it's because Ishimatsu thinks that Sanji stole all of his money. Um and yet like the movie knows that you know what they're doing. And they also like bring it up again when the, the princess is like, Oh, isn't that he your best friend? When he left, you were like sh- shouting his name, Sanji, Sanji. <laughs> um, <laughs> the princess is so great because she just like, she also says things with like a certain naivete in the way that Ishimatsu does. Um, in a way that like, they could just have the princess say stuff sometimes. It's just like, yeah, we know what this is. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, she's a kid, and so it's okay that she's naive about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, like, that certain um, dual quality of, like, oh, she's naive because she doesn't know what a pickpocket is, but also, oh, she's naive because she doesn't know that they're gay. <laughs> um <laughs> Anyway, um, but yeah, for the most part, I think it's like, um, just like a fun little comedy movie, you know? Um, yeah, it's just not that serious. Um, <laughs> it, it's a, it's a, you know, um, this is in a very different direction. Um, I, um, 
started today to watch a movie because I was scrolling through um, the Criterion channel um, and just was seeing like what's leaving at the end of the month. And there was this interesting little movie um, on there called Oxhide that um, is leaving the Criterion channel at the end of the month. So I don't know. I wanted to be able to watch it. And I just it's like a very like dry movie about like um this sort of like half documentary half like narrative fiction film about a like family in a um in an apartment in Beijing um very very dry um and I was watching it and I was like I knew I knew I wasn't enjoying it and I knew that if I had been watching it with you I would have been like oh this movie's really good I would have like gotten a lot out of it I think there's something to be said for like you know, sitting down with another person and, like, movies being a, like, social experience where you kind of talk a little bit through the whole thing and um, you bullshit and you just, like, say what you're thinking. I think it makes movies more fun and um, I understand where the, like, culture of not talking to movies comes from in a theater where you don't, you know, you don't know how everyone else feels about that, but... I really appreciated being able to watch um, Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu with you because I think if I was watching it by myself, I would have been like, that was a cute little movie. And I maybe wouldn't have even finished it because, like, cute as it is, it's not like... I don't watch comedies by myself generally, you know? If I'm watching a movie by myself, I'm usually watching, like... um, something that i can something either more actiony or more um like serious and thinky um watching this movie with someone else is just delightful and like made it a good movie and like i don't know that's all (laughs) yeah this movie in particular is one that i recommend just like watching with some friends um Mm. Because I do think there's just a certain fun of, like, like it is a comedy. It, there's just a lot of it that is meant to make you laugh. Um, and I think a lot of the comedy does translate. At least it does for me. Um, I know I, I watch, like, a lot of Japanese stuff. So I think humor is often a thing that, like, can be hard to, to translate um, across cultures. But, I like, so there's a certain degree where I'm like, okay, I, I know that I watch a lot of Japanese comedies. And so I'm like probably somewhat more tuned into Japanese comedy than some people might be. But I also think there's just like a fair amount of this that is like clearly funny. Um, Yeah. I don't watch a ton of Japanese comedy. This is just like, you know, I, I think this movie works because so much of the, the, the comedy is like physical. And so much of the comedy is like, in the performance in a way that is like because um Hiwari Musora like plays everything up so 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 much um you could sort of tell what she's going for even when you don't understand the words a lot of the time you know yeah like there's a scene of um she meets this guy who stutters um and she's like mocking his stutter and that plays, you know, like, I don't know what she's yeah. saying there. It still plays. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's, like, very good at just, like, immediately mimicking that back. Um, 
There's also just a lot of, like, I feel like a lot of the comedic timing, the way that they even just cut it, um, the way that she will often deliver things, like, you can kind of get the sense of, like, the hit, even with reading the subtitles, because so much of it is just, like, like, often the punchline is not a well-delivered line. It's, like, there's this dialogue happening, and then it's just, like, huh? <laughs> Like, it's, like, a, like, very quick reaction where, like, that is what's funny. is just the reaction to, like, everything that happened. Um, or, like, the timing of... There's the, the scene where um, there's the guy on the boat and um, Ishimatsu's, like, trying to get him to be, like, oh, yes, like, one of the, the great, you know, warriors of this boss is uh, Morino Ishimatsu. And the, like, increasingly frantic, like, you know, who's the 10th most famous? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, it just, like, in- this, the cutting uh, is matching, like, the increase to tempo and, like, frantic, like, come on, I know I have to come up eventually. Um, and so, like, a lot of that just works because the the editing is so in sync, I think, with, like, her performance for a lot of this that... Um, it even like clues you in even more to some of the, the, the comedy of it. Um, and so much of this is just letting her perform. And I think it just like is very good at cutting in ways that will emphasize that rather than detract from it. Um, um, what, um, that made yeah. me think of something and then I lost it. Um, that's fine. Um, we, we could talk a little bit about some of the, um, like this film is entirely shot on, like yeah. Sound this stages, is like the next like, big thing sure. I wanted to talk about. Um, um, and a lot of them look really good. Yeah, you can yeah, control the- everything. You can make it look good. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, in the like, we took like a fifteen minute break between like watching the movie and recording this episode and i was like because we were talking so much about how like so much of this movie is just like really barren sets um and like matte paintings you know yeah um like pretty minimal sets with like some fake looking trees on them and then like a big matte painting in the background of like a beautiful skyline or something and i was like why does this this like extreme artificiality this like purposeful artificiality um work for me in a way that like cg does not um and like i think like we we've talked so much about um you know um hibari misora's performance here and i think like having the actors not look at like green bullshit (laughs) Um, probably helps the actors act a lot um yeah like some of a lot of this play a lot of this feels to me like theater because of like the ways that the sets are the sets are not like realistic the sets are not supposed to make you think this is a real forest that they're in the 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 it's supposed to evoke um 
the it's supposed to evoke the feeling of um of a forest you know yeah um, um or evoke the feeling of a beautiful sunset um and like that it's just like the the way that it's uh you know not literal it just makes it so much better <laughs> yeah um it also is a thing too that for for me um like i i think that red peony gambler also has a certain amount of like a lot of that is also on sound stages and yet the fact that it is like a stage is so much less immediately obvious um i think it's a little bit easier to sometimes be like oh this is depicting a reality um even if you like pay even a little bit of attention you can very quickly be like no that's a that's a matte painting um (laughs) and i think in some ways this film is very intentional about like not i'm gonna let my cat in (laughs) hi um anyway i feel like this film is intentional about uh, like not trying to hide any of the artifice because it is so interested in just like the camp that that can provide um this is like a very campy movie um and if one of the things that i and i think that one of the things that this film is playing with is this thing that you were talking about earlier of like gender being this performance that like she can just put on this male role and be Ishimatsu um, and like really play it up in this campy way that lean that lends even better towards like, no, just let the people be aware that these are fake trees that we put fake moss on. Like, <laughs> like all of this is this entire thing is constructed. Um, we're constructing this entire thing to entertain you. Um, and again, like it's not heavy handed about it. It just lets it all be like a artifice and a joke in a way that just works, um, especially well for, for I think what this film is doing overall, which is like, again, there was like queer nightlife in Japan at the time. Um, Misara, uh, yeah, Hibari Misara was like a prominent person who was like to some degree engaged in that stuff, but w- like was a huge, very popular actress as well. Um, and just letting her perform, letting her be on the stage, making the like artifice of everything part of it is like it just like makes the film itself part of a drag performance like it makes the sets part of the drag performance in a way that i really enjoy yeah um Um, yeah um no you said the thing i was gonna say never mind sorry sinuses (laughs) stuff is really making it like a just a pain in the ass to think and be present in the moment. Yeah. Um, but you had um, literally just said the thing that I wanted <laughs> to say, so we're good. Uh, uh, I love this film a lot. Um, it is too. a film that I don't have a, a like a ton to say about because it's just like it's a good movie. Watch it; it's fun. Um, it's it's gay in fun, weird ways. Um, 
But yeah, there is on Letterboxd. I'm looking at a seven paragraph review of uh, this movie, which is absurd to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I was looking at the reviews because I remember them being slightly funny. Um, this three star review I hate. Fun samurai family flick that features an energetic yet grating central female playing a male performance. Uh, unique musical numbers and lighthearted action set pieces both complement the film's otherwise average production, but all in all, it's forgettable and disposable. Whoever wrote this is very clearly straight. Fuck you. <laughs> um, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, uh. this four-star review with just, like, many paragraphs is just r- really something. Yeah. Shoutouts to this person. Honestly, like, yeah, I'm not reading this. It's too long, but shout out to you. Um, <laughs> there, there are 19 people on Letterboxd who have watched this movie, and two of them are on this podcast. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- th- this is a thing. Uh, so you like subtly roasted me when I was specifically talking about Rocky Reykjavik and um the realization that I had of, oh, I'm just this bassist. Um, and at first I just said, cool. And then I c- corrected to obscure. And you said, no, I think for you, those are the same thing. Um, but there's a certain, like, I, I like finding weird, obscure things. I also really like sharing those things with other people. Um, every single person who goes and watches Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu because I did a podcast about it is fucking incredible to me. Um, I want this movie to like get big enough that like Shudder picks it up or something. I would love that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like a very reasonable goal, a, 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 a goal that is not outside of like things we could do. 19 people have gotten on Letterboxd and watched this movie. I think we could get that to number to 38. I think we could yeah. double that. <laughs> if I check in like a month and 38 people have watched this movie, incredible. Um, yeah. I'm just so happy. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, great movie. Uh, do we want to rate the movie. stairwell? Um, yeah, so there is... Um, Sorry, sinuses. I am falling apart. Um, there is yeah. a scene of Sanji and um, uh, Ishimatsu like laying down at the bottom of a hill, just like chilling, just d- boys' night, relaxing. Um, and they, uh, someone suddenly like drops a shoe on um, uh, Ishimatsu's head. And um, Ishimatsu's like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> and there's like some like steps that lead up the um, l- lead up and down the hill, and so um, which is kind kind of like cute little thing, just to like make this hill a little more navigable. Um, and that that person who drops a shoe is the blind princess who didn't realize she was dropping yeah. her shoe. Um, um, uh, also, so, yeah. Bef- while they're at the bottom of the hill is when Ishimatsu is like, I dreamt that I was um, at the, like, I was going to the, the Dragon Palace. So, 
Yeah, I feel like this is the scene. The one other, there is a brief moment. This might be the cover because I think it's the most like photogenic is um, when Ishimatsu is going up to the temple to present the sword. And that's like where the film ends. But I feel like the bigger scene that's like maybe more thematic to the the film itself is that they go down the stairs to the hill, talk about um, dreaming of going to the the Dragon, Dragon Palace. Palace that we will then see the dream of later when Ishimatsu apparently has this dream again or something, um, except mm-hmm. gayer now. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> um, now Ishimatsu realizes that he loves Sanji. Um, yeah, and then goes back up to like meet the princess, which is, you know, going to be the whole thing. But yeah, so I think between those two, I feel like we should rate that first. Like we should rate the more extended hill one than the the brief scene of going up but um i feel like the cover will be going up to the temple yeah i want to give this if it was you know what i think if it was just the hill i might give it a c but i think i think maybe with the combination of the hill and the stairs up to the shrine maybe it could bump it up to a c plus you know yeah um Unless you feel unless you feel more strongly about it in one way or the other, that's where my gut's at. Um, I think I feel good about a C plus. Um, yeah, I I also tweeted the uh very funny to me uh screenshot yeah, with the good. line, <laughs> "Damn it, hey, aren't there any other stairs?" <laughs> Which is just yeah. us every time we watch a movie and there isn't a good stairwell scene. <laughs> Um, but thankfully that move, the movie after that line will give us another set of stairs. <laughs> um, so yeah, I feel good about C plus. Yeah. Um, um, emails do, have we gotten any more since I did uh, a call? I believe like, literally it's right just the one from Juo, but I'll check. Oh, okay. we have one from Crystal as well. Um, oh, we got both of them. We got both of them. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. Um, I just saw what Crystal's email is, and it made me laugh. Thank you, Crystal. Okay, um, I'm going to start reading Joe's while you, you post this in the, yeah. the chat. For Hello, me. Pokemon Coliseum fan, Crystal. <laughs> um, so Joe says, Hello, Captain America and Iron Man. And I want to clarify, um, I did get more detail from Joe here. I am Iron Man, and you are Captain America. Okay. Um, don't know if you have any feelings about that, but um, my stepdad's anyway. name is Steve, so I don't want to be a Steve, but you know, it's whatever. Yeah, my stepdad's I don't... fine. I like him. <laughs> um, I don't want to be Iron Man, but uh, between the two, I think I would rather be Iron Man. <laughs> oh, I'd so much rather be Captain America. Are you fucking kidding me? Okay, so we both ended up with the right ones then. Yeah, Iron Man sucks, but he's a brat, so like it's accurate. Anyway, um, Joe says, which movie covered by ornate stairwells would you rework into becoming an educational cartoon for children? And how would you do it? Um, Um, Great question. Um, (laughs) uh, Not to to return to the same one all the time, but Mulholland Drive. (laughs) (laughs) It would obviously be (laughs) the second rebuild of Evangelion. (laughs) 
No, no, no. It would be Angels of the Universe. Yeah, Angels of the Universe is a really good one. Um, just, just an educational cartoon about the horrors of the like psych- psychiatric um <laughs> like industry and how it just like funnels people into the you know being good performers for the state <laughs> yeah um, um that's it that's the <laughs> um um I do Drive, like- also very good yeah, I do like the Mulholland Drive educational cartoon about, um, I don't know, how to be gay and uh, try to make sense of the, like, dual realities that you exist in. So, okay. So, I have not seen this movie because we are covering it two episodes from now. Um, I'm really taken with the um, educational cartoon of Suspiria that is just um, a... Uh, educational cartoon about ballet (laughs) (laughs) um that's what suspiria is about right it's about ballet is that right i don't know definitely okay um um that's also what angel of the universe or no not um wings of desire they're himaly weirbeline that was also about ballet right i no what (laughs) I don't know what Suspiria is about. I haven't seen it. You can't make jokes. Be nice to me. <laughs> um, I do think it's funny because you haven't seen Suspiria. And I, I told Connor that we were going to watch Suspiria. And he was like, oh, the original or the remake? And I was like, the original. Um, I don't think the remake makes any fucking sense if you haven't seen the original. So, <laughs> um, um, looking I do like to... the educational cartoon about the hunger. Um, that's just how to be a hot lesbian vampire. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Eat two mama tummy and which is just a sex ed cartoon. <laughs> just like oh a, yeah. Like, it's just it's just Louisa explaining to them like yeah not like not like how to be good at sex but like okay like sitting like a 12 year old down and like here's what a period is like very yeah. just like you know basic sex ed stuff um <laughs> but it is Louisa so there's like a little bit in there of like hey like make sure that like when you do finally start doing it with other people that like you're really focused on like making sure that they're having a good time and like that they're also getting what they want out of it. Um, it's like very like couched in this like, you know, far more just like, Oh, you know, be mindful of like consent and how the other person is feeling. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, but, uh, really, the entire time that she's doing the narration, she's like, just like fucking learn how to eat pussy. God damn! <laughs> it's the magic school bus of sex ed cartoon. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> um, I think Which we answered that question. Miss Frizzle is fuck you. Okay, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> Crystal, no, I'm asks, thinking about it. It's good. Um, Crystal asks, you have discovered a magic lamp. Upon rubbing it, a magical genie appears who offers you a conditional wish. 
You may bend the laws of time and space to pick any two actors and one director from any time and country to create an, as- an aesthetic film about being alienated from society or whatever. Which three do you pick? Um. So, okay. Um, Orson Welles is on the list. I just want to know, is he an actor or director? I'm leaning toward actor. Yeah, I'm also leaning toward actor. Okay, so we got Orson Welles. That's a lot. Um, we got that one squared away. <laughs> um, I kind of want to do the other actor here is uh, Mifune Toshiro. Okay. <laughs> I was going to maybe say um, beat Takeshi, <laughs> but I like, I like the... <laughs> um, I, like I was Mifune. just going... I was just going for, obviously, if we're making a, an aesthetic film about being alienated from society, it's also going to be a film about how two guys want to fuck, and I just want to do the, like, two hottest guys. <laughs> yeah, that's why I went for Pete Takeshi. <laughs> <laughs> um, we must have different tasted men. <laughs> um, um, no, I think you're right. I think, um, I think Wells and Mifune... Um, and then we could do we could do um Takeshi directing, but um we could who else could we pull? I feel like I wanna I feel like I wanna call Simon Wong in here. I mean I know we're just doing like things yeah. that we've seen stuff from I yeah. guess we haven't seen any Orson Welles on, on the podcast proper yet, but Yeah. Um We haven't seen any like, Mifune on the podcast. Yeah. Um, that's true i don't um, but yeah i don't think anyone's listening to this podcast and is like shocked to learn that we're orson wells and uh mifune fans like <laughs> i don't think there's anyone who's taken aback by these revelations about our taste i'm kind of surprised that we haven't watched a mifune movie on the podcast yet um, i think it's he's because... just the hottest man who has ever been alive <laughs> i think it's because like like um a couple months ago, um, I remember M was like, I don't know what movie we should watch for blockbusters next. I was like just throwing out like Spielberg movies or Disney movies. And M was like, we can't, I don't want to do Spielberg movies too much because if like, it's, it, it's just too, it's like too rich a vein, you know, like yeah. we could just do, they could just do Spielberg movies every single week on uh, blockbusters and it would be kind of stagnant, but they could do it. <laughs> Um, yeah, and I feel similarly about like covering Kurosawa films because like we could just cover Kurosawa movies every week. I'd be very happy. <laughs> yeah. <know? laughs> um. Uh, but it would be. I I just I don't want to keep going back to that. Well, I don't have any sort of hard and fast rules like oh only every six months or anything. I just don't want to go to the well too often. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I feel I feel good about director Simon Long. I feel like especially yeah. if we're doing about doing it about alienation and also these men should fuck. Um, Simon Long is like a really good pull here. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> that's um, that's what Rebels of the Neon God is about. It's about being gay and alienated from society. <laughs> yeah, my only uh, question, I guess, is like I have not. And granted, I've only seen him direct the one movie. I know he's had a long career. I know that he's, like, worked with the same actors a bunch. And so, like, um, I'm sure his, like, careers, like, what he covers has changed over time. Um, I have not seen him yet direct, like, adults. 
and I'd be really interested to see how that goes. Um, yeah. I mean, I know those movies exist. I know the movies with, like, the actors from Rebels of the Neon God um, as adults, like, exist, you know? Um, yeah. I just haven't seen those movies, so. Um, yeah. We really got to watch Goodbye Dragon Inn. That's the thing is um, I am hesitant to go back to the... Um, kurosawa uh well too quickly um i am excited to go back to the siming long uh well very quickly <laughs> like yeah. i i kind of want um as soon as we get through um the halloween stuff to go do goodbye dragon in that's like just what i've been kind of excited about recently so <laughs> yeah um i'm gonna go to the bathroom because i just have to pee too bad yeah. And then we'll come back and we'll finish this podcast out. <laughs> yeah. I'll be back. Um, I'll fill space just because I had like stuff I wanted to say. Um, if um, I just uh, I found myself like as we were doing the um, as we've been doing stairwells, I've been finding myself like wanting to watch more like Taiwanese and Hong Kong movies. Um, I was looking at Criterion Channel and like um uh, I want to try and watch uh, Center Stage this week because Stanley Kwan seems like an interesting director in general. Um, I want to try and watch um, Flowers of Shanghai by Hisao Kaisen, I think is what that movie and what his name is. Uh, so if you have like Taiwanese and Hong Kong like directors, like I guess I was just realizing this week that this is like a whole world of like cinema that like I didn't know anything about and like we have watched like two or three movies from that like part of the world now and i'm like holy shit these are great movies so uh in a way that's like exciting to me in a way that like i know there are a lot of great french and italian movies i haven't seen there are a lot of great french and italian movies i haven't seen that's not exciting to me because it's what i heard about constantly when i was like younger and like this is stuff that i never heard anything about and is like interesting and cool so if you have like you know classics of movies from like this part of the world like please hit me with them i'm gonna try and like knock some of these out both on and off the podcast i really i'm gonna try to see some of the stuff that criterion channel has this week um uh, i'm just gonna pull up what do i what did i put in what did i put in my list on the criterion channel just like the stuff that i want to watch um we got oxide which i was talking about earlier um yee yee um a pr i should i feel like i should watch brighter summer day but that's also a really long movie center stage like i was talking about um i feel like there was some other stuff here um there's a french movie flowers of shanghai by oh i was totally wrong about his name flowers of shanghai by um how so sin i guess um looks like a really interesting movie um 2046 another Wong Kar Wai movie i think i put that on the list because it's the follow-up to um in the mood for love and because it's leaving criterion channel soon um so yeah i'm next time we are watching cat people right yeah <clears throat> um, yum yum. 
this this will be an interesting so to be clear for people who are are listening um i'm talking about the 1942 version of cat people by Jacques tournier um there was an 82 remake that i think would also be fun for us to to watch at some point um by paul schrader that's an erotic horror film um but i feel like it's important to see the 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 classic here one of the Mm -hmm. like og lesbian horror movies cat people oh this is totally unrelated has nothing to do with what we were talking about even a a little bit (laughs) um sorry my nose is really bothering me (laughs) um uh i've been looking a lot at like the list of like stuff that's leaving um the criterion collect criterion channel their streaming service at the end of the month um if people have not seen um blowout uh a film starring john travolta directed by brian de palma um that's on the criterion channel it'll be leaving soon uh i say this with every ounce of like everything in my heart you have to see blue out blow out it's one of the like f- the five best movies of the 80s like i would put it up there with um wings of desire blowouts fucking phenomenal please please watch blowout um that's um, i love that movie it's fucking stupid as shit <laughs> Shall we wrap this up? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. All my other podcasts export odd dot io. I don't want to plug any more than that. <laughs> you go. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at foxmomnia. You can listen to my other podcast, Ghost Divers, by going to export odd dot io slash ghost divers. It's an anime podcast. Um, if you are trying to find a good way to get into it, um. I have two pieces of advice. One is just listen to our end of Ava discussion. Um, I think it's just like a good episode that if you're familiar with Evangelion and end of Ava, you can just jump in on that one and um, more or less get what we're talking about. Um, And it's just a very strong episode, I think. Um, Or just like, pick a a series that you find interesting either one that you know that you like or one that you want to watch um i think right now yeah the the um matching night rare earth ones are still coming out um and we're currently recording utena so that'll be next you can also follow me at garfred aloud and watch me read garfield aloud and do a camera um Oh, also, if you want to write into the podcast, export audio podcast at gmail.com. Yeah. I think that's everything. I do have something I want to plug. I realize. Okay. Um, I, um, just today recorded an episode of VoIP Life that'll be out, um, two weeks from now. So I believe somewhere in the week of october 4th um i don't know what day void life comes out i think wednesdays i don't know anyway doesn't matter um i recorded that today um you have to give ten dollars to the abnormal map and patreon um but you should do that because 
one, Voip Laugh is my favorite podcast. Uh, and two, Jackson and M are my favorite people. And three, um, like, like, you know, export audio would not keep going in the way that it does now without this, you know, Jackson and M's like support and sort of like making us their little sister network. Um, <laughs> uh, and so you should go give them $10 and listen to the episode of Voip Life I was on. We bullshit about what it is to be a critic and what it is to, um, uh, like, watch movies. Um, and then we talked about Naruto. Because um, Naruto's great. And Jackson just read Naruto. Um, also, in that podcast... I reveal that I told a bald-faced lie on the last episode of um, uh, Ornate Stairwells in order to look more educated and cooler than I am. Um, so if you want to find out what I was lying about, you have to give Jackson and M ten dollars. <laughs> um, that sounds great. Um, I will tell also... you, Nia. I will tell you, but I will tell you not into a microphone. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's smart because if you did record it, I would just put it into the edit just yeah. to spite you because um, that's I'm someone who spites people. Anyway, that reminded me um, we, we've talked about this, but if people I think if you just search like abnormal mapping discord, you'll you'll find out how to join the discord if you're not already there. Um, and that's like there's an export chat there and that's where the um, link for. Hibari no Mori no Ishimatsu was posted. So yeah, go to um, abnormalmapping.com. There's a link to the Discord up at the top right corner there. Um, there's export chat, which is just a you know that is if you want to get in touch with me about anything export, um, like that is where you can do it. You know anything yeah. or date stairwells, anything hot singles, anything. Um, we still haven't announced that you're going to guest on the next hot singles, have we? We still we no. didn't say that. <laughs> no, I thought maybe you would do it when the public feed went up, but you didn't. <laughs> I, I was so out of it today. Um, I thought I thought Regs would is really yeah. what I'm saying here. Um, <laughs> yeah, please roast them, not me. I'm just a small yeah, cat. You didn't do any of the promo for Hot Singles today because no, I didn't. Just been out of it all day. I oh my god, it was. I've been a fucking mess today. I can't believe you recorded three podcasts today while sick. Um, I didn't. The thing is that I wasn't sick when I woke up. I have gradually gotten more sick as time has gone on. God, I um, hate that. You can like feel your body getting sicker. Yes, um, it sucks. And now I have to go work six days in a row, so I'm not going to get better. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. Um. I feel like I was going to say something and I don't remember what I was going to say anymore. Um, Lem, I'm pretty sure when you do that, people can hear it. <laughs> I do love you, my little kitty cat. Um, Okokoro is real, I guess. I forgot what I was going to say, so Okokoro is real. Yeah, I kind of wanted to do the thing I was trying to do last time where I like made the podcast go on indefinitely for no fucking reason. And then I was like, oh. again, the podcast isn't over until you say Okogoro is real. So I know, you're still doing it. I know. I was just wrapping up. I just, I thought about doing the bit again. I thought it would be fun. Um, this is what I used to do with like every episode of White Lotus Radio. I was like, oh, this would be fun. 
And then I was like, I do not want to uh, exist anymore. I want to go to sleep and just, like, not exist for the next nine hours, ideally. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm gonna go do um, that. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Come 
now. Okay. Um, it turns out, by the way, since I edited last episode, it was perfect. Like, I put them both in, and I was like, okay, time to listen to it and slide the you yeah. know, audio a little bit, and it lined up perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Usually does. Um, um, oh, M told me I needed to turn, out, turn down my gain a little bit earlier today, so I'm doing that. Okay. Um... Hello, everybody. Uh, fuck, how do I intro this podcast? 